0: Welcome to Real Faith. You're listening to... Oh, man, this is really loud on my microphone. (laughs) Wow. Anyway, welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and I'm listening to it three times as loud as all the rest of you are, probably. But anyway, we're super stoked to have you here. And um, how are you going, Beck? Yeah, I'm going
1: well. I'm also going well. Um, I studied back at uni, this week, uh, so that's been really good. Or oh, not last week, but since we've last talked, it's just so good to be in class with people, to see people, and um, yeah, it's just been really, really good experience this Top week. Top
0: three things about being back at uni: uh,
1: people, um, actually getting ready to go somewhere, and oh, like I'm trying to set up a routine again. So I think that's kind of been good, like actually going somewhere.
0: Oh, excellent! Yeah, is that routine perchance involve getting up early? Just to check. Look,
1: the routine does. Has my routine involved that? Look, look, I'm working on that.
0: It's okay. Progress. I'm not succeeding at that very well either. I've been getting a few, um, a few sunrises in. Excellent. In fact, this morning. I got to see the sunrise as I was driving. Mm-hmm. And um that was great. I got to I actually went out fishing this morning. Yeah. And I didn't catch anything unfortunately, but I really enjoyed watching the sunrise out on the water. It was fantastic.
1: I have a question for you. Please probably.
0: ask. Please ask.
1: Like and this might be controversial. So I might be starting controversy, but you are
0: You're, Jesus a, veg- ate fish, it's you're true. a
1: vegetarian? No, I'm not. I thought you were.
0: No, I'm not a vegetarian.
1: Oh. I'll, I'll be
0: honest with you. I, I normally say I'm vegetarian. Yes. Mostly because I, I hardly ever eat meat. I've eaten meat once this year when I caught some fish. That's and, what
1: I was going to ask. And That's I don't what I fish gonna, very often. I was going to say, do you eat the fish you catch or do you catch and release? So that was my controversial thing. I do
0: both. Okay. Uh, depending on what the kind of fish is. And yeah, if, yes. if it's died. <laughs> you, <don't, laughs> you don't throw back dead fish. That's not very nice. Um, yeah. Unless you're... Anyway, let's not get onto that subject, but... <laughs> but often i think I, it's it's easier to say i'm i'm basically a vegetarian okay. because 98% of the time i am yeah, i yeah. almost never eat meat and when i do it's it's usually something i've caught myself yeah. and uh, it's just a lot easier to tell people that when they're like I understand. what do you eat whoa well, Technically, I had meat once this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mm -hmm. but but that doesn't mean I want to eat eat meat at your house. So anyway, (laughs) anyway, let's change subject. On to the show. On to the show. Today we are starting our new series called Heroes of Faith, and we're going to be exploring some heroes that come out of Hebrews chapter eleven, the great faith chapter. This is
1: exciting. I like this chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. So I'm really excited.
0: It is very good, and we're going to be starting with one of the earliest ones that comes into the piece and. Today we're going to start by looking at Enoch. Mm -hmm. Now Enoch only appears a few places in the Bible, so it's going to be a little bit different perhaps of a study today than we've been doing in the past, but I'm super excited to see what we get out of it. And we're going to hear from Blair Lemke, who's the youth director, one of the youth directors for the North New South Wales Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, a bit of his testimony, and it's going to be a great show. You don't want to miss it. This is Spiritual Mix Singers Sail On.
2: Sisters and brothers, when we all get
0: together in the law. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Hey, just before we get into this next section, I wanted to remind all of you guys, and uh, today might be a day where we get more questions based on what we're studying, just from my personal experience. But if you guys have any Bible questions that you'd like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. You can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in any questions at 0491-064-669. Or you can also hit us up on our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. And now we've come for, I think, a great segment of the show. And that is what a weird and wonderful world. Yes. So take us away, Beck. What do you have for us today?
1: All right. So we were doing a health segment for the past few weeks. We've now transitioned back to fun facts about the world. I thought the
0: health stuff was fun too, that's by the way. That's good.
1: But this this is about the world, not just like food stuffs and health oriented. Getting a little broader. Today, I picked something which is one of my favorite topics. Ooh! Dogs.
0: I love dogs. Oh no. Dogs. Yes. dogs? That's, my little, that's definitely at the bottom of I my list. I love, so do
1: love dogs. Why
0: do you they, love dogs?
1: Because they're so lovable. They are lovely and happy and excited to see. Yeah, you. they're
0: nothing like people, are they? They
1: love people. I love them. I think sometimes more than people. I think
0: people are a lot like cats. They want you when they want you. And they're not very affectionate unless yeah. they need something yeah, from yeah. you. That's I remember the...
1: hearing this quote talking about the difference between cats and dogs. And it was like, dogs are like Oh, you love me, you feed me, you care for me, you must be God. Cats, you love me, you feed me, you care for me, I must be God. No,
0: that's really interesting. <laughs> a total
1: difference between cats and dogs. That's,
0: there's, a, there's a lot of profound philosophical thoughts that are coming to my mind right now about humanity and how we are like cats or dogs.
1: <laughs> Cool. So, I'm going to give you some fun facts about dogs. Please do. Do you know, or, maybe, or change the
0: subject? Either of those two options is okay with me. I maybe. have
1: another subject afterwards. So, I was going to talk about dogs' wet noses. <laughs> Robbie is laughing. I cannot help but laugh. Dogs' noses are wet to help absorb scent chemicals. So, the reason is that they keep it wet, so that it helps them smell things better. So when they lick their nose, often they're smelling what's in the air. That was new to me, I didn't know about that.
0: So they have to lick their noses to keep them wet, hey. Yeah. Isn't that weird? I'm so glad that people are not like that.
3: (laughs) That's true, that's true. (laughs) There was an
0: awkward pause on the radio for that one. Everybody just took a moment to think, what would it be like if I had to lick my nose throughout the day to keep it wet? Yeah. It would change your life dramatically, let's be honest. I hope, I hope it would dramatically change. I hope that's not the norm
1: talking about their sense of smell and dogs according um to some courts of law bloodhound's sense of smell is so acute that it can be submitted as evidence in court are you kidding me that's amazing that's
0: crazy even now yeah even now wow
1: the internet told me so it's amazing
0: that is pretty cool (laughs)
1: Something else about dogs is that they are as smart as a two-year-old. That's the kind of age bracket that we Are create. you sure that
0: that works for all dogs? Because I don't know if you've ever met a Chihuahua, but I don't <laughs> think they have the same intelligence factor as, I'm say, not gonna a black Labrador. I'm not going to this debate because
1: I know we'll get angry texts from Chihuahua owners. So, but I, I don't say they're know... Not- I don't bad know. I, or I didn't say they're bad
0: I just said that they're not as intelligent as some other breeds
1: <laughs> so dogs can smell your feelings They what? can smell if you're starting to feel fearful and you start to sweat they can smell they perceive it up, through is, their nose yeah so people say when I'm feeling bad my dog comes and comforts me they know because they can smell it and they come to you because they, they want to comfort you and stop you feeling fear
0: so their intuition comes from their nose basically uh, yeah what you're telling me. yeah
1: it's pretty cool that's incredible and did you know this one, that dogs can be used I to... I have de-
0: not known any of these facts, actually. <laughs> See? <laughs> this See, is all new to me. See, they're much more
1: amazing than you thought. <laughs> dogs can be trained to detect cancer. Did you know that? No. Oh, I did. I've watched a documentary on it. So dogs can smell cancer cells. And so they've actually found... They've, they're now trained to smell and find out cancer in people, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know what's interesting is we have gone so far from moving, removing ourselves from the, the utilization of domesticated animals, yeah. or domestic animals, I should say. Um, and it's funny that it now sounds like we're almost going back that way because it's more effective than computer science.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean,
0: that's a bit of a big, broad statement. Only in some small areas, perhaps. Yeah,
1: definitely. So wow. I have another... This was a, a study that was done in China um, of women who owned dogs and women who didn't own dogs. And so they did a study and they found that the overall health of dog and then they said all cat owners as well was better than those who don't have a pet. They found that the dog owners, uh, they exercised more often, they slept better, they reported better fitness levels and they had fewer sick days. So you can actually tell your boss that having a dog means you will be at work more.
0: So and, rather than using that as an excuse for yeah. what ate your homework, you should be using it as your motivation to get healthy and fit Absolutely. and to sleep soundly because you've got a guard dog on duty.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, they also saw their doctors less often so it seems that they got sick less. So, um, or when they
0: were sick, they had companionship, so they didn't need to go to the doctor. they didn't need
1: to go anywhere. So wow. those were my facts about dogs, which I wanted to share with everybody. And I wanted to encourage you that maybe you're like Robbie, maybe you're a naysayer, and you didn't really think about dogs that positively, but... Think about all the things that we've just shared about them.
0: But don't get a dog unless you're going to actually give it the attention it needs. Oh, let's, if, let's you don't, be sure if you're of that. not going
1: to look after it, pet someone else's dog. But that's my <laughs> health tip of the week is actually look for a dog, give it a pet, give it a cuddle and be blessed. So enjoy the rest of this session. We've got some music coming up for you.
0: This is Trevor Morgan. He will rejoice.
4: Lord, your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, Beck, if we've got questions yes. that we'd like to know about the Bible, what can we do you to let us know about them? You
1: can call us on one 324 843 That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text us on 0491-064-669. Or you can hit up our Facebook page, Faith FM Australia. We would love questions, guys, so shoot them in.
0: Excellent. So we have come to the testify segment of our show, and we're excited to hear a little bit more of a testimony from Blair Lemke. So, Blair, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from?
5: Yeah, thanks, Robbie. Good to be here on Faith FM. I am here I grew up in uh, I guess suppose you could say I was born in Australia So I'm a native to Australia That's nice That's a good thing <laughs> and, I'm still working on that Yep Well uh, Although I will add I'm a dual citizen with America So hey. Kind of close to you there Robbie Up in Canada uh, but in, in, not, that's where you're from, I right? no, he was from He's oh, from wow. California. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay. I've done that too. Sorry, okay. I'm not offended. I'll I, take I, it as african Americans and Canadians, they hate it when they get mixed up, so it's all good. It's all right. Anyway, I... You you're know, only half Kiwi. It's okay. That's right. Okay, so, yeah, look, I grew up in, in the area, actually. I was born in Melbourne, moved to Brisbane, and stayed there till I was kind of... Uh, You know, year two, three, halfway through primary school, came up to this area, Newcastle, and have lived here for many years. Um, Then I worked up on the Northern Rivers region near Byron Bay, uh, up on the border. It's a beautiful place of Australia. And now I'm back here again, uh, working uh, here in Newcastle, and it's great to be here.
0: Awesome, man. So we'd love to hear a little bit more about your story. So I believe you're going to tell us about how you met Jesus. Um, so, tell us a bit of uh, just how, how did that experience happen? What was life like before? How has life been like since?
5: Yeah, I love being asked this question because uh, and I love this segment testify is that what you call it yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, I love the, I love that title because uh, what a, what an awesome thing to be able to do to be able to testify of what God has done in Amen. our lives uh, and so for me, I grew up in a Christian family, uh, my dad. Was a pastor, his dad was a pastor, and his dad was a pastor, and so uh, I also work um, as a pastor, and so fourth generation pastor. Wow. Um, now, that you could assume that coming from a family of faith, that you would just automatically. You know, be absorbed into the Christian kind of narrative or the, the, you know, the belief of Christianity. Uh, but of course we know that's not always the case. And there comes a time in every person's life where they have to make a decision, uh, whether they're gonna accept the faith of their parents, uh, those who, their family who they've grown into, uh, or take their own path. And so, for me, I, uh, the the real turning point for me where I just saw God so clearly working in my life and decided for myself uh, to have a personal faith in Jesus uh, was actually a trip. I, w- I went on a trip across to Europe on a Reformation tour. Now, I'm not sure if our listeners would all be familiar with um, what a Reformation tour is, but uh, basically just um, it it's a trip where I went and learned about the Reformation, a period of history where uh, men of faith, men and women of faith, were uh, coming to learn of Scripture. Uh, The Bible had been hidden for uh, out of access from the common people for many uh, hundreds of years, and uh, and when the printing press went out, you know, copies of the Bible were shared around. And so I went and kind of went on this trip and learned the history of all of the men and women of faith who, as they were studying Scripture, uh, you know, came to these. Truths in scripture and started to live their lives according to them. Uh, and it was just such a very, uh, a very reviving experience for me to see, you know, some of these people who were giving up their faith, you know, their lives. They were martyrs for the Christian faith. It's powerful, isn't it? It's crazy. Just like, uh, you know, and and some of them over, uh, you know, the faith in Jesus, but some of them over, you know, things like um, baptism by immersion and certain, you know, doctrinal beliefs in Scripture. And so, you know, the idea of someone giving up their life for Jesus um, and giving up their life for the truths of His Word was such a... Uh, just a confronting reality for me because, um, you know, I wasn't at that point, I wasn't even willing to kind of live for Christ. Mm. And these people were, you know, these stories as I, as I went and learnt about them, they were not only living for Christ every day, but they were giving up their lives for Christ. Mm. And it was just such an inspiring thing to see, you know, I looked at people like John Wesley who would pray towards the end of his life for up to eight hours a day. Um, on his knees, getting up early in the morning and then going out, not just being a hermit, but then going out and sharing yeah. uh, the, the the beautiful truths of, of Jesus with his community. Um, and so that was just a very inspiring thing for me. I came back from that trip uh, and uh, got into God's Word, started studying His Word. I couldn't be the same after that. And um, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And as we study God's Word... Uh, our faith is kindled. And that was my experience. I just came to faith uh, through that and um, uh, ever since have had God speak to me through His Word uh, every day through uh, the Bible. And it's just uh, such a, an inspiring and fulfilling experience to have.
0: That's awesome. So you've how long ago was that?
5: So that for me was about five, six years ago. Oh, actually probably seven years ago now.
0: So seven years ago. And that was really the the, the clinching... Experience that really got you started on your own personal walk of faith. Amen. I'm, we're going to take a break for a moment and then I'd love to ask you just a couple more questions about what it's been like since then. This is Rend Collective, My Lighthouse.
4: In my wrestling and in my doubts In my failures you won't walk out Your great love will lead me through My troubled sea, oh, you are the peace in my troubled sea, my life.
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. And at the moment, Blair. So we've just been hearing about Blair's experience coming to a real faith in Jesus through a Reformation tour. So I'd love to hear a bit more. So you started reading the Bible for yourself and seriously. What has that looked like practically for you for the last six, seven years of following Jesus?
5: Yeah. Well, there's a text that comes to mind in Scripture. Uh, in Psalms chapter 119, verse 105, it says, uh, your word, this is the psalmist speaking, says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, uh, you know, he's reflecting there on the idea that God's word is uh, illuminates the future, uh, you know, gives guidance to the steps that he takes forward. Uh, and and this really has been my experience too. Um, in the last seven years since I have uh, started spending time daily in God's word, uh, it's just, I just praise God that he has uh, revealed, he's, Made my way, my way forward, my path forward clear, uh, revealed um, truths in His Word, uh, you know, the ways to live a a wholesome and a life that is a blessing to other people, uh, a life that is, um, yeah, is able to um, do good and these sorts of things. And so, how has it practically looked in my life? Um, It's looked like uh, God giving uh, counsel and instruction uh, daily in a way of which to live my life. And so I've been able to, you know, when I, when I go to try to make a decision about what to do about something, um, it's not ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's texts of scripture that come to mind that guide me, um, that give me a moral compass. Uh, you know, you're not tossed to and fro by every wind. Um, it's, it's like an anchor, um, you know you've got an anchor whereas if you don't have the anchor you're a ship just tossed to and fro with the with the ocean and so yeah it's been a real sense of stability in my life it's given me purpose it's given me direction it's given me hope uh, and belonging uh, and m- many of the things that so many people in our world are looking for and i praise god that um, i've found that through a relationship with jesus and a daily experience in his word
0: that's awesome man so good and if there's anything that you could Tell our listeners, what would you like to tell them?
5: Well, uh, I, I would encourage our listeners. Uh, there's with, I'd leave them with this text of Scripture. Um, it's a, pro, a ch- chapter of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. Uh, I've found it true in my life uh, that when I trust in God, That's the best thing that I can do in my life. Uh, And it's not safe for me to rely on my own understanding. Um, uh, You know, I so often, we can, as you know, we live in a crazy world, I think we can all testify to that. And there's so many distractions, so many things that um, can just derail you, discourage you. Uh, But... um, if you learn to trust in God, he'll direct your paths, he'll lead you forward, and uh, you, you'll be able to walk day by day with uh, peace and confidence and security with him. And I'd encourage all of our listeners, uh, if you haven't already uh, had the opportunity to start a daily relationship with God, um, I would encourage you to to reach out to a pastor, a mentor, a spiritual mentor, uh, pick up a Bible and start a daily experience in God's Word. It'll be the best thing that you've ever done.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Blair. We pray that God will bless you in your ministry. Thank you so much for your time. This is Matt and Josie Minicus, Psalm 139.
6: I saw your substance yet unformed. Knew your days before you were born Love from ages past I've sworn I hold you in my care My thoughts towards you are dear than the ocean end, From your first cry to your last breath, I'll hold you in my hands. Yes, I will lay my hand upon you. I will guide and uphold you. I will strengthen and enfold you in the shelter of
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Before we get into our Bible study, which is my favorite part of this show, I just wanted to remind you that you can text in or call in with some Bible questions at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text in at 491 64 Or hit us up on the faith... FM Facebook page. It's really hard to say faith and Facebook, Facebook. It Facebook, really is.
1: Every time Face I get FM, to that Facebook, beat, I stumble. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook,
0: Facebook. I always I'm feel like same. I'm going to say it that I way. I feel the say same. I hate
1: saying that last bit. I even missed it, I think, last week. And then Robbie said it. And I was like, huh, ah, there we go, because I didn't want to say it. <laughs> All
0: right. So we are moving into our Bible study on Enoch. But before we get into Enoch, I think it's good to get some background context. Yeah, so who absolutely. is Enoch? Yes. How many times does he show up in the Bible and what's so interesting about him? So to because there's really there's only 5 passages of scripture where he's mentioned. Yeah. And so those 5 passages of scripture are in Genesis chapter 5 which we're going to read and that's in a genealogy which is a list of father, son, father, son, you know, a list of uh-huh. lineage. He's mentioned in two other genealogies, one in First Chronicles, where it's talking about the genealogies of the tribes of Israel. And then the third genealogy where he's listed is actually in Luke chapter three, which gives the genealogy of Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus is a relative, very distant, by the way, to Enoch, who lived the seventh generation after Adam. Yeah. So he's way back at the beginning of history. And then the last two places are in Hebrews chapter 11, which we will read, and also in Jude, a very small book, the book just before Revelation, in two verses there. And so those are the only places in the whole of Scripture where he's mentioned. And by the way, those passages are all, I think, three verses or less.
1: Yeah, there's not isn't a lot of actual scriptural content, so we kind of have to dive a little deeper as we're looking through.
0: And what's really neat about that is that sometimes that's what you have to do in scripture sometimes you have a lot of narrative you have a lot of information and sometimes you don't have as much now this character is mentioned in hebrews chapter 11 which is like the hall of faith so to speak and he's mentioned and what's mentioned about him as you're going to find out is quite fascinating and so we're going to have to dig a little deeper so that's going to be a bit interesting today a little bit different but hopefully we will gain some good insights so Let's get into it. So Genesis chapter 5 is where we'll be starting. And in fact, we're going to start just before that. We're going to give a little bit more context. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 4 and we're going to go to verse 25 and 26. Now the background here is that Adam and Eve are the first man and first woman that God created on the face of the earth. Yeah, They had had two sons, The first was named Cain. The second was named Abel. And in the process of time, these two had grown to be old enough as men to be looking after their own, uh, I guess you could call it careers, so to speak. One was a, a gardener. The other was a shepherd. And so they both brought some gifts before God. One of them was... God was pleased with Abel's gift. He wasn't pleased with Cain's gift. And then what happens is the first murder yeah. in human history takes place. And Cain actually, in aggression towards his brother, in jealousy, he murders his brother. And so after that, now this is kind of the the prelude to this story. And this is, I think, a, a crucial thing. Would you like to read for us, Beck, the last two verses of Genesis chapter 4? It's verse 25 and 26.
1: Yeah. It says... And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord.
0: Awesome. So what what takes place in Genesis chapter 4 and then in Genesis chapter 5? Just for a little bit more context here. Context is a a very valuable thing. Cain's descendants then went on to be a group of people who walked away yeah. from trusting in God. And as we're going to find out from some of the details momentarily, this becomes this is this is shocking to me because of the context of what's going on here. So after the process of time, once Adam is 130 years old, he has his second or his third son, excuse me, uh, Seth. And so Seth goes on. The earth is 130 years old at this stage, right? Humanity is 130 years old. And then it says after he has a son, which is another 100 years or so, then it says that people began to call in the name of the Lord. And what we have here, the point of this, is that there's a distinction happening just two generations down from Adam.
1: Yeah, it's crazy actually to think about how soon it was. Like you were saying I just reminiscing like thinking about that verse it says calling on the name of the Lord you're thinking when they're not always calling on the name of the Lord That's like right. they were so close they they had Adam with them still the one who walked with God.
0: That's right. So th- let's think about this because the world before the flood took place. Right? Genesis chapter 6 through 9 tells us there was a global flood the, the earth was covered even to the highest mountain in water and that there were eight survivors and that every person that exists now descended from those people Yeah. Right. prior to that time we have approximately 1600 I have the actual number written down somewhere so 1562 or something years of earth's history Yeah. prior to the flood and in that time we have to think there's some things that are important to know one Adam is alive for 930 odd years. Yeah. Okay, so the first man and the first woman lived a very, very long time, almost a millennia. It says that there were seven generations that were alive at the same time. So if you think about it right now, we generally have about three generations alive simultaneously on the planet. Yeah. Like my grandparents and then my parents and then me. And you might get into the fourth generation depending on how quick you have kids and how long your great-grandparents might live, right? But thats it's a pretty short window. But this is talking about seven generations being alive for consistent periods of time at the same time. Now think about how intelligent these people would be. They weren't Neanderthals. They weren't idiots. They were made perfect, Adam and Eve. And so the, the degradation of humankind is taking place over a slow duration of period. Sorry, a slow duration of time. People would have been smart. But what was there?
1: Yeah, they had all the access to their ancestors and their history. So Adam, who was walking with God in the garden, literally
0: walking with God.
1: Enoch, who is like seven generations away, he was alive for his like his whole life. Adam was alive, basically, essentially. And yeah. so he had he was what well, his like great 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 grandfather.
0: A little more, He's something seven like seven generations,
1: seven generations. like seven generations grandfather.
0: Yeah, that's a lot of grapes.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of grapes. So I can't even count how many grapes that is, but he had him and had the access to him. So he would have heard all the stories. You know, you for me, myself, I don't know if our listeners have grown up with their grandparents, but I have grown up with having my grandparents alive and around me and hearing their stories about their life and things, how they did things and, and seeing them see new things that are happening around the world today. You have a lot of interaction and a lot of discussion about what life was like for them. And imagine if they were godly people. Imagine if they are like, people who've walked with God and seen him, what are the stories that Adam would have shared? What would he be told of what God looked like, what it was like being with him? To yeah. all of these people who didn't see him face-to-face but were with the person who saw them face-to-face.
0: And another that's such a brilliant point. Like Adam had all of this experience. Eve had all of this experience. It was real, yeah. personal, direct. And they could pass that on to their children. And they did. And Cain and Abel had heard God speaking to them directly. Think about this as well. The Garden of Eden was on the earth until the flood. The the garden wasn't like gone. And there was an angel, it says, guarding the gate to the Garden of Eden. Now, this was there this entire time. So if you think about this, all of these people, Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants, Cain's descendants, generally speaking, as far as we know, were walking away from God in rebellion to God. And Seth and his descendants at least started by calling on the name of the Lord and following God. And so this is the backdrop. This is the context in which Enoch was born into. And he. we haven't gotten to his part yet, but we're about to come to it. So this is the backdrop. You would have had access to a lot of information. You would have been able to see things. I mean, if there's an angel with a flaming sword guarding the gate to the Garden of Eden, I think that you might be able to see that. Who knows? Maybe you could even talk to the angel. Like, this This is a different context than what we're talking yeah, about absolutely. now. Yeah, absolutely. And so this is the world that Enoch is born into. So let's get down to Enoch. So we're going to come to Genesis chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 18 through verse
1: 24. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him.
0: Okay, now just to make this a little plainer, it goes through all of these other people, Adam had Seth his son, and then he had other sons and daughters. He lived for X amount of years, and then he died. Yeah. Then his son Seth had this son, da, da 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 and then he died. And then his son had his children, and then he died. And then this person lived and has his children, and then he died. Like, this is over and over and over. And you get to Enoch, and it's weird, man. This is a very strange thing to say. Enoch, when he was 65, begot, now begot means had a child, yeah. right? Sired a child is another word you could use. He had a son. His son's name was Methuselah. We find out later that Methuselah is the longest living person ever. He lived for 969 years. And after he has his son, it says then he be, it doesn't say he began, but it says that at that point,
1: he walked with God. He walked
0: with God. So there's something profound in this that we'll look at in a moment, but he walked with God. And then it it says he did that for 300 years. Now everybody else is living over 700 years. He lives for 365 years. And then you're expecting it's going to say, and he died. But what does it say?
1: He was no more because God took him. He was
0: no more. But that doesn't mean he died because God took him. Now, this is fascinating. We're going to look into that. There's a couple of things that we want to really focus in on. Number one, what does it mean to walk with God? Number two, why did it happen after he had a child? Is it mentioned specifically? What can we learn from that? And number three, what in the world? Why did he not die? And what does that mean? And what's the significance of that? So those are the things we're going to jump into. So for a start... Let's ask a question. What does it mean to walk with God?
1: Yeah. Well, we, we have to think of the other people in the Bible in the times when they were walking with God, right? And so I know we discussed this. Someone else that it says walks with God was Noah. So Noah is also what you're talking about, the flood. So in that time, it says that Noah walked with God. And looking at the difference of generally the people around Noah in his time, they were not walking with God, which is why the flood happened. Um But Noah was the opposite. He was walking with God. So we can sort of parallel Enoch with Noah.
0: Totally. And I I love what you say there, that there was a big differentiation happening. And what started off as a a differentiation between Cain's descendants and Seth's descendants, Cain being rebellious, Seth being faithful, right? All of them being sinners, all of them being in need of grace and salvation, but responding to God's faithfulness. You've got this differentiation and then as time goes on, we get to Genesis chapter 6, and it says that differentiation starts to, starts to change. They start to become all a lot more like Cain's descendants. And that's where the story gets really interesting. So we're going to take a break on that note, and we're going to listen to Simon Korolski, Sweet By and By.
7: sing on that beautiful shore, the melodious songs of the blessed, and our spirits shall sorrow no more, not a sigh for the blessing of rest. In the sweet Bye bye, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall meet
0: Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Hey, if they've got a question, and I'm sure there are going to be some questions today about this topic, uh, how can they send them in?
1: Yeah, you can call us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. You can text on 0491-064-669. 0491-064-669 zero four nine one zero six four double six nine or go to Facebook on our faith FM Australia
0: page awesome all right so we're looking at Enoch we've just found out that he walks with God and then he is no more for God took him yeah and so we want to figure out what is this what does it mean to walk with god what is what else does the Bible tell us about walking with God and so we're going to do a little bit of a word study we might call that where we're going to find other places where this phrase comes up and see what we can learn about that idea and plug it back into what we can learn about Enoch so let's go to Genesis chapter six verse eight through 13 I think it was so this is talking about Noah who comes a few generations after Enoch but it says also that he walked with God Mm -hmm. this is not a phrase that comes up a whole lot in the Bible it tells us to walk um, but it's not said about that many people so what can we learn here
1: Genesis chapter 6 verse 8, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth.
0: Awesome. So what's going on here? God's talking about flooding the earth, about destroying the earth. And you know, sometimes people look at that and they think, man, well, that's a bit harsh. What's going on here? But notice how God describes the state of the world. He says, I'm going to do this because the end of all flesh has come before me. Not because he was planning the end of all flesh, but because it says the earth is filled with violence through them. In other words, let me put that into plain English. The people on planet earth have become so violent that if I don't intercede and do something about it, there will be no one saved. They will literally kill all of each other. And so he goes, Who am I going to get to try and save something so that we can start over with this thing? And what's amazing is that it says, Noah found grace. And I love this. This is so powerful. Because before we can look at anything else, it's so cool. This is the first place that grace appears in the Bible. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on Noah in the coming weeks or anything, so I'm excited to just say a point on this. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Grace came before Noah did anything.
1: Mm -hmm. That's cool.
0: Isn't that cool? Yeah. He didn't build the ark and then there was grace. He found grace and then God chose him and spoke to him and said, hey, are you going to respond? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's he chooses cool. to
0: respond in faithfulness, mm-hmm. which is a powerful, powerful story. So he finds grace. God says, hey, look, everybody's going to die if I don't do something. So I want you to build a boat and you're going to have people on that boat and whoever's on the boat is going to survive. And everybody else, unfortunately, is just going to perish.
1: Well, and he gave him the opportunity. I think that that's something that people miss when you're looking at the story of Noah and the flood. He had 120 years to preach and to share with these people. They had 120 years to believe him and to come to knowledge, to come to that grace and that knowledge as well. And instead, they don't do that. But Noah still does the right thing. He does what's faithful. And I think for me, looking at talking about walking and what did he do in his walk, it says that Noah walked with God, Um, the earth was corrupt. But Noah wasn't. He was perfect and he was a just man. Now we know he wasn't perfect in the sense that he didn't sin because it says all have sinned, but he is trying to do the right thing. He's following God. And we know that because if you look just a little bit further on um, in verse 22 of chapter 6, it says, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him. So he did. And then verse 1 of chapter 7 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you were righteous before me in this generation. So he says that one thing of walking with God, Noah is doing what God has commanded him to do.
0: That's right. He's responding to God's call, isn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah. So I think for us, knowing walking with God is doing the things that God asks of us to do. It's kind of like, for me, just thinking about it, like if you have a friend, you say, are you really friends if you don't do anything together? Or are you really friends if you don't do um, things that you, you think that you should do as friends? If you're doing complete opposite things, you think, man, do we have any connection points? That's right. <laughs> That's
0: right. You can get that in your relationship at home, right? Yeah, like with yeah. your spouse or with your parents or with, you know, are we really in relationship? Do I just know about you or do I know you? Yeah. Am I working with you? Am I walking with you? Or am I just walking somewhere else? And that's a powerful thing because it talks of relationship. So this is powerful. So Enoch, we know, walked with God. Noah walked with God. And there's there's communication between God and these men. So point number one, if you were walking with God, you'll be listening for God's voice. You will be looking for God. You'll be looking to hear from him. You'll be seeking for him. This is a powerful point that we can learn. Enoch was doing this.
1: And also he was—he accepted grace. Yes. Right? So that was the point that you drew out first, that he accepted God's grace in his life. So he accepted that he needed God to do a work in his life.
0: Totally. Oh, such a good point. Because you're not going to want to do anything if you haven't found the grace already. Yeah. And you can't do anything except for the grace anyway. So this is powerful. This is so cool. All right. Something else. You said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now, that's 2 Peter 2 verse 5. It says, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. And so we know that Noah was actually trying to save people. He wasn't just like, hey, man, let's just get my kids on the boat and everybody else is out. No, he was preaching consistently. The, The sad thing, the tragic thing is that only his family listened. And responded to God's call. God said, here's the way of salvation. I have provided it. Just get on board. Mm. Literally, get on board the boat. You'll be saved. And only eight people responded to that call. What a sad picture. But what's fascinating is let's translate this to Enoch. What does this tell us about Enoch? Was Enoch also, and maybe it begs a question that we'll look at as we see the rest of the verses about him. Was Enoch too a preacher of righteousness. And we're gonna discover that as we read from Jude, uh, well, there's only one chapter in Jude, Jude verse 14 and 15, which we'll go to momentarily. But this is really, really powerful. When you're walking with God, it changes you. You are not the same person before you find Jesus and 10 years and 20 years and 30 years and 40 years after walking with Jesus. Because you know it says in the Bible in Amos chapter three, it says that, It says, can two walk together unless they are agreed, right? Well, here's the thing. We're not in agreement with all things with God, and God doesn't change. So that means, therefore, that as we're going to walk with Him, who's going to wind up different?
1: Yeah, we're going to change. We're going to wind up which different. Which is awesome because which there's so many things you want to change. And you're like, totally. man, I want to work on this. And like you say, God doesn't change. He is good. So the, the areas which we need to change, uh, the areas that we want to become good, the more we walk with God, the more we will become those because we become... There's a verse that says, by beholding, we become changed. Oh,
0: it's so good. And it's as so we behold
1: good. God we become changed into his likeness. Just like um, we spoke about it this week at, at college actually where I'm studying and it just really reminded me, we become like those around us, especially totally. people that you love and people that you want to mimic. Um, you, you start to be like them or people that are in relationships. They did this one study one time, which was so cool. I watched this guy, they had all these couples who had been married different amounts of time, but a little bit longer, like 10 or so years. They split them up and put them around in a room and they got this guy from the out outside to try and find who were the couples in that group who were the pairs and they were just talking in big groups and he picked like 60 to 70 percent of them having not met any of them just by their facial features and the things they said and how they responded to things because they become like each other yeah they become like each other by being around each other so much and it's like that with god the more you are with him the more you become like him
0: and it's totally true right Sometimes we get caught in the trap of thinking, oh man, I just need to get it all figured out. and I just need to figure out these are all the tick boxes and if I can just do this, do this, do this. That's not the way that you're ever gonna tick any of those boxes. The way is actually to come to Jesus, spend time with him, get to know him. Because guess what? The more you know him, the more beautiful he becomes. And the more not beautiful some of the things that are going on in our life become. And the more we know him, the more we see the defects in our character that just are not like him. But here's the beautiful thing. The more we're with him, the more we start to become like him.
1: Yeah, it's the beautiful. The more we know
0: of him. It's not like God's in and he just says, oh, you have to change and let me break that off and make it all. No, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily like that.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's powerful
0: because I become different. For example, in my relationship with my wife, I'm becoming different. So is She. We're, we're becoming different because we're around this other person, and there are good things about her character that are rubbing off on me. I'm becoming more hospitable. That's a good thing.
1: That's awesome, Isn't Robbie. Isn't that great?
0: <laughs> Beck's like, yes, this means I can come over this weekend?
1: <laughs> yes, yes,
0: it does. Um, so it's powerful. And we know this to be true. The funny thing is sometimes we think like, we act like this isn't real. But every parent knows this because you don't want your children to hang around certain influences because guess what? When they hang around those influences, they start to behave like them. They start to think like them. They start to look like them. And some of those influences are good and some of them are not. Yeah. And so this is powerful. Enoch walked with God. And as he walked with God, God's influence started to change the way that he thought started to change the things that he desired, and his character started to look more like Jesus, mm. which is beautiful. Now, in light of that, whenever this starts to happen, when someone has a real experience with Jesus that starts to change you, the truth is you get to a point where you start wanting to share that with someone else because, let's be honest, what's the coolest thing that's happened to you, like, what's the, what's the most recent thing that you've gotten really excited about, like, purchasing? This is a really off-the-cuff question, like a bullet. Do you have like a new yeah, board or something? Yeah,
1: the, the recent thing that I got excited about actually is there's this like eco-friendly store and they have like these eco-friendly um, things that you can use for cooking and stuff and replacements so you're not using plastic. I'm quite excited about that. Well,
0: I can tell and everybody listening can tell because of the excitement in your voice. It just changed. You were excited before but you got really excited then because you're actually excited about it and when you're excited about something that's bringing beautiful things into your life, that's bringing change, that's good... All of a sudden, you naturally want to start sharing that with other people because, hey, guess what? Other people might be blessed and benefited by that eco-friendly stuff. The same thing happens when you're in a relationship with Jesus. As you get to know Jesus and you realize that you are loved beyond compare, when you realize that your value is not determined by what other people think or say about you or how well you succeed at this or that, but your your value is constant because Jesus says, you're worth my life.
3: Mm.
0: You're worth the life of God that's how valuable you are. Yeah. When you realize that and that really sinks into the depths of your soul and changes the way that you feel about yourself and the world around you, you want everyone to experience the beauty because you see other people going through that experience of confusion and you go, man, I was there and now I'm not. Let me introduce you to the guy who did that and that happens. So, That's part of walking with God too, is you want to share it. Okay, let's keep jumping on. Oh, you got something to say? Go for it. I just
1: had like a small thing to touch on. I was just thinking then I'm going to flip
0: to Hebrews 11.
1: (laughs) About walking with God. Something small to share is just that, man, when you walk, sometimes we stumble, right? Sometimes we fall. And I was just thinking that when you're walking, sometimes you're going faster, sometimes you're going slower, you're going up hills, you're going down into valleys, different parts of your life, you're walking, but if you're walking- and the person next to you is God, there's this verse that also says that if two go together and one falls down, the other can pick him up. Woo! And you think, man, if I'm walking with God Savior. and I fall, well, God never falls. So who's the one that picks you up? It's Always God. him. He's always there. He's always with you. He's you the never one that's picking lifting up. you up. So just mm-hmm. like a father would lift up his little kid who falls over, it's God that will lift up you and get you through the tough times.
0: Which is powerful because what we're we're not talking about Enoch, the man who never, ever committed a sin, who never, ever fell. No. The Bible says clearly all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. Every human being with the exception of Jesus Christ. Everyone else. He's the only human who never sinned, and he was the God-man, right? But that journey, that walking, is is a journey and a process of falling down, letting God pick you back up, and that changes you too. And man... People who've never fallen down much don't seem to have a lot of sympathy for people who have, right? Yeah. If you're really good at maths, you don't tend to have lots of empathy for the people who really struggle at maths in school. But the person, and you know this from having teachers, right? You'll have teachers who are brilliant, but they're not great teachers. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right?
0: And then you have others who maybe don't know as much. You've got the brilliant mathematician who can't teach you anything. And you got somebody who's okay at maths, but they're a great teacher because they had to struggle to earn it, right? And that's, it's a powerful thing that gives you empathy when you've had that experience. And I imagine Enoch had a lot of empathy. Okay, let's go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse five and six. It says, by faith, we're going to switch this up. I'm going to read today. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And the key point that I want to draw to this before the break is that Enoch was diligently seeking for God. Yeah. Diligently beautiful. seeking for God. This is Stones of Eden. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> I'm done. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. Just one more shameless plug before we go to the, through the last section, because we know what section comes after this. We, well, we got the news, of course, and probably some music, and then we're going to have the question of the day. And it's hard to have a question of the day if you don't have a question. Absolutely. So we would like you to call or text in or message us on Facebook with some questions, and how can they do that, Beck? Yes.
1: You can call us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Text us on 491 64 Or you can go to Facebook on Faith FM Australia.
0: Now, don't be shy. Don't, don't hide away. We really do enjoy and appreciate the questions. And if they come in too late for us to be able to have time to do them, we'll just save them for next week. So please do. Yes. And you don't have to send them during the show. You can actually send them anytime and they'll give them to us. Yeah. Because our good friend Liam checks the phones all the time, doesn't he? He gave me a big thumbs up, so I think that that counts. All right, so we've just read Hebrews 11, verse 5, and it says that you need to have faith that God exists and believe that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him in, in order to please God. You have to believe in God to please God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because otherwise, how are you going to do that? You're not diligently seeking. But what's really cool about that is that it, it identifies that one of the key ingredients to pleasing God is actually pursuing him.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's true.
0: And think about this from any relational perspective. Who are the friends that you like the most? The ones who invest time in coming to talk to you or the ones that you have to chase all the time to talk to?
1: Yeah, people who invest time in, in talking with you or like are genuinely excited when they see you.
0: Totally, right? Like, Here's God giving everything, pursuing us. God's pursuit of man is the story of scripture, right? Sometimes we got it the wrong way around and we think it's the story of God, of man's pursuit of God. But it's so much more God's pursuit of man. This is the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming flesh, dying on behalf of man, right? Resurrected, ministering for us in heaven. All of these things, this is God in pursuit of man. And isn't it interesting that God also wants man to be in pursuit of God? And it's the people who are most hotly pursuing God that we see in Scripture with titles like Abraham, who's called the friend of God, of Enoch, who we're talking about today, who walked with God, of Noah, who walked with God, of David, who was a man after God's own heart. What an amazing title, because they diligently sought for him. They wanted him, not just what he could give. But who he was.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Like in that relationship, um, they they come to know God more. And they're not perfect because we see these men, like you say, we don't hear what Enoch, you know, he seemed really righteous, Noah really righteous. But after the flood, Noah makes some mistakes. And we oh, so see that. F- big you know? fatty ones too. <laughs> and then we see um, that David, man after God's own heart, you know, has big issues, adultery, murder, things in his life. Um, and none of these are sanctioned by God. But the thing is that is it none David of these repents. actions are sanctioned yeah, by God. Yeah, none of the actions were sanctioned by God, but they re- he repents and he comes. And that's he the key. he turns, Yeah, and turns so he comes to back to that relationship from sin with the only one who can save him.
0: That's awesome. All right, now there is one more passage, and I want to read it because otherwise we might just forget about it. So we're going to go to Jude. So Jude is just a little book right before Revelation. Some of you might not have seen that before. It's really sneaky, it's one page usually. So Jude is one chapter, and we're going to read verse 14 and verse 15. And this is going to, this is the last passage in the Bible. We didn't read two of them, but they're literally genealogies listing the, the name Enoch, and they don't tell us anything about him. So this is our last one. Do you want to read that for us, Beck?
1: Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him
0: Super cool. Okay, what does this tell us about Enoch?
1: Yeah, I mean, something that I was just thinking there. He says ungodly so many times, and you're like, "Ooh, like that can that can encompass a lot of things, right? Being ungodly." But you think, well, if Enoch was walking with God, the more he walked with him, the more godly he became. So these people must not have been walking with God because they are ungodly. So if they're not spending time with them, they're ungodly. But if you see, so you have someone, right? You have a friend. And if someone's like, oh, you remind me of someone. You remind me of Robbie. Often it's because you're a friend. Like, you know, I'll be a friend with you or someone will be a friend and they'll say something and you'll be like, oh, you remind me of someone I know. And you're like Robbie. You're Robbie-like. And so that's kind of like this ungodliness where they're the least time that they spend with him, they become less godlike. But the more time you spend with God, the more godlike you become. So for me, it just really reiterates that fact that Enoch walked with God. He spent time with him because he was like God. And then the people who don't spend time with God are not like God. Mm. It seems really simple, but it just really puts it out there. You know, when people sometimes they talk about their experience and they're like, oh, I believe in God, but they never spend time with Him or reading the Bible or praying or doing anything. They're just like, oh, it just comes to me. I think, "Ah, oh, there's a lot of things in your life that don't seem to be God-like because you're not actually spending time with God.
0: Mm. So if you want to become more like Jesus, spend time with Him. Yeah. That's powerful. I'd like to point something else out that happens here. It says that He prophesied. Now, if I... I may be wrong on this, so I'm not going to say this is absolutely he's the first prophet that's in the Bible, but he's one of the first at least because I don't know of any other place where it talks about someone making a prophecy, a foretelling of the future, right, a predicting of future events. And what's interesting is that Enoch does this. He's, he's doing this. Now, who's he prophesying to? Well, he's prophesying to people because a prophet, by definition, is taking a message that God gives to the people. Yeah. Now, if he's making this prophecy, who's he prophesying to? Well, he's probably prophesying not just to the righteous, those who are walking with God, but Mm. he's actually telling this message to the unrighteous, too. And check this out. So in the message, he says this prophecy that, hey, there's going to be a judgment. Yeah all the things that we are doing and that that have been done will, will be brought before the judgment seat of God in the future. But what he says is powerful here. He says God is going to execute judgment on all to convict all who are ungodly. Now, you were mentioning something to me in one of the breaks about that, but I think it's so powerful what you were saying because you don't need conviction if you're doing the right thing. You need conviction if you're doing the wrong thing so that you can be led to repentance. There's, I can't remember where the passage is. It's in Paul's writings. He says, I think it's in Corinthians. He says, I'm not glad that you were sorrowful for the sake of sorrow, but you had a godly sorrow because it led you back to Jesus. Yeah. And instead of continuing to walk in darkness, you came to Jesus, and now you're walking on a different path. And he says that that sorrow was useful, right? So conviction is useful when it actually leads us to Jesus when it leads us to change yeah and it's a powerful thing that his purpose of sharing this message wasn't to condemn it was to lead them to salvation yeah this is the whole point so for example if you're out swimming at the beach beck and there's a you know and I can see a white pointer shark coming towards you I'm gonna start yelling at you and at that point my desire is for your salvation now sometimes My desire for your good is going to look really kind and nice and gentle. But sometimes it's going to be like, hey, look, wake up. There's a great white shark coming for you. Get out of the water. Come this way. Right. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, look, all of these wrong things that are going on. Remember, the world was getting despicable to the point where by the time Noah came, they were so violent that they were going to eradicate all of humanity through their actions. You know, that's worse even than it is today. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, he's giving this prophecy. He's a preacher of righteousness. He's doing what Noah did. He's sharing the hope of salvation. And that's powerful.
1: Yeah, it shows that another thing is that people who walk with God share, right? Boom. And so the same thing was with Adam. Adam walked with God and he shared with those around him because they learned about God from Adam. So he, who also walked with God, shared about God.
0: Now here's one final question. The question is, why did God take him? God didn't yeah. take everybody else. No. Yeah, that's true. couple of questions. One, does this mean that no one else was walking with God? No, right? That, that not, does not mean that. There's only two people who were what's called translated to heaven in, in the Bible who never tasted death. That was Enoch and then Elijah. But that doesn't mean that no one else is saved. But what's powerful about this is think about this. Enoch was taken at a time where they had only had this one prophecy about Jesus given to them, Right? What hope do we have? How do we know that God is going to redeem us and that death is not the ultimate outcome for everyone forever? And God gives an evidence in Enoch.
1: That's so cool.
0: Because the story's written down. That means people knew it happened. Yeah. This is powerful. And sometimes, here's another powerful point, sometimes our absence can communicate more to people about who God is than even our presence. Wow. Wow. Enoch could have lived another 600 years like everybody else and been a powerful witness, but God used him for an even more powerful witness by his absence. And sometimes that can be true of us as well and where we are in life. And sometimes where we choose to go or to not go can be a witness for God in our absence even. This is Sarah Groves' This Piece.
6: But I'm opting for silence So many days to live I think I'm sitting this one out Cause something I've been chasing Finally stopped to let me catch it Something I've been longing
0: welcome back to real faith with Robbie and Beck super excited to have you back and um, we've come to that portion of the show and here's the question do we have our do we have our little adsy ads we do is it that time of the day is it that time of the day question of the day it sure is oh, I love that so good thanks Liam all right so we we did get a we just got a question in from Aaron but we're gonna have to answer that next week unfortunately because it came in just without any time to really get any preparation for it. So listen back in next week, Aaron. we'll answer your question. Yes. Um, the other question that we're going to address at the moment is just briefly, what about the Book of Enoch? And then we have another question. So we're going to try and split this up into just... I think Beck had a question that was going to be aired. I don't know. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, we're going to deal with this question thought. first. I had a thought. Okay. So what about the Book <laughs> of Enoch is the, is the first question. Yeah, that's a good um, question. Okay, so... The book of Enoch is, first of all, it's not in the Bible. It's what would be called apocryphal or pseudepigraphical. There's a nice, fancy, big word. Um, but there's a couple of challenges with this book. Some people will say, well, hey, what's the deal with this book? Is it written by Enoch? What's what's going on? Can, can we read this? It talks about all sorts of things. It talks about angels and it talks about demons and it talks about astronomy and all sorts of real interesting stuff. But it also talks about a lot of things that are actually contradictory to what scripture teaches. Yeah. So there's a couple of challenges. So first of all, the book of Enoch is not biblical. It's not not an inspired book. Uh, It's not a book of inspiration. And there's a couple of reasons for us to be aware of this. So first of all, scholars date the authorship of when the book was actually written. The earliest section, because most scholars suggest it was written in about five sections. Um, The first... The first section, the oldest section, was dates back to about one sixty seven one seventy six okay. B C. So the second century B C., which is after the last book of the Old Testament was written, and before any of the New Testament books are written, um, second century B C. Now here is the problem: it claims to be written by Enoch, who lived a lot longer ago than the second century B C. So they're claiming to be written by Enoch, but the problem is we don't we don't have any of the writings of Enoch. So whatever Enoch did prophesy that's being quoted in Jude here is is either from oral tradition. It is mentioned also in the book of Enoch this little passage from Jude 14 and 15. But it's not the book of Enoch itself, the rest of this book is not quoting from this source. So Enoch died before the flood. What Enoch originally said was either oral tradition and that's what's being quoted here in Jude or in a book that we no longer have. The part that we do have here is quoted in Jude. Um, the fact that Jude matches one verse from the book of Enoch does not mean that the book of Enoch is validated by Scripture either. They could both be quoting from a different source that we no longer have. Other issues that come up are that, for example, there are places where Paul quotes pagan philosophers, just a couple of places, but that that does not in any way validate everything that that philosopher says. So for example, Paul quotes in Acts chapter 17, he says, as one of your own poets has said, in us, God lives and moves and has his being, right? He's actually quoting um, a, a Cilician philosopher named Aratus, and he also quotes in Titus from another Cretan philosopher. So he's, he's drawing a point from what they said and saying, hey, this is... Not exactly what they meant by that, but there's an element of truth in that. that yeah, I, can, just, I can relate to your culture by, by quoting this.
1: Absolutely. Like things that we say today, like all roads lead to Rome. Yeah. Or, all roads today don't lead to Rome. That's but right. it's something that we say and we quote, even though we don't believe all of that.
0: That's right. Even though we don't say everything else that would be quoted by that quote. So that's just another point. Um, another thought is that the oral tradition that Enoch had been a prophet is the point that's being made here. So many scholars suggest that what's being quoted in Jude 14 and 15 is actually an exposition or an interpretation, what's called a midrash, of Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3, which is the first place where that quote about 10,000 of his saints appears in the Bible. So there is a quotation there from Deuteronomy 33. Third reason the, that we don't accept the book of Enoch as um, inspirational or inspired by God is that the Jews never accepted it as inspired by God either it wasn't contained in the Old Testament it wasn't ratified as inspired by God by the Jewish culture who was the original custodians of the Bible who essentially have passed that to us maybe not so much intentionally but they managed and and by the grace of God led and kept that together so the original custodians didn't see it as upholding scripture and so did not qualify it as inspired and so we have no reason to think otherwise
1: yeah and I just had a question on that, Robbie. He's like, why is that? And I think it's because if you look at the, the text of the alleged book of Enoch, it doesn't match up with the rest of Scripture. That's, and, it's just, and
0: that's the biggest point. Yeah. Go, oh, sorry, I thought that, you had more to say.
1: That was pretty much it. I was just saying it doesn't match up. And I was like, oh, I've taken Robbie's point. He's going to go on this.
0: No, excellent, excellent. So what's really powerful about that point that you make is that this is a test for all things, that are, not outside, that are not contained in Scripture in terms of their validity, right? So, for example, there are some truths that are expressed by some philosophers. That doesn't mean that everything that they say is truth. What we have to use as our greatest test of truth is actually Scripture. Does what they're saying match up with what scripture tells us and in fact this is told even because scripture was given over time by the yeah, way yep. and even when scripture was given to moses by the inspiration of the holy spirit as it says in second peter it's fascinating to note that in deuteronomy 13 he says this is how you will test the prophets first of all if they're leading you away from the god who's revealed himself here through torah it is not from god because he's not going to tell you one thing and then tell you something else.
1: Absolutely. Right?
0: Another test that's given in Deuteronomy 13 is you should test does what they say actually come to place. This is another test of a prophet. So when we're when we're looking at any any of these ideas that are given, any ideas that have come post scripture, we have to check them against scripture.
2: Yeah. That's our main source. Point.
0: Because you know, by the way, the Bible didn't say that all prophecy would end with the apostolic period, right? No, it says that all of the gifts of the Spirit will continue until the second coming of Jesus. That's scary sometimes for us to think about. You mean God could have a message that would come? Whoa, right? Mm. That's, that's good news. But we can't just trust that everybody's message is from God. We actually need to test it according to Scripture. And when we find that the, the points that are being made are not matching up with Scripture, we need to be very, very credulous yeah. about what's going on there. Incredulous? Maybe I used the wrong word there. We need to be very skeptical, I suppose, is a better word. We need to test things against Scripture because Scripture is God's word. It's an ultimate source of truth. And so we need to use that as a check, a litmus test, so to speak, of other things that we would read. Even theologians, right? You know, whoever was writing the book of Enoch, which wasn't actually Enoch, some second-century Jew, most likely, um, we need to test him. We need to test any other writers. You know, we need to test anybody, Does it match Scripture? Because Scripture is the ultimate test that we should be taking against any of these authors, any of these theologians, any of these philosophers should check it against Scripture. This is Kemi O'Gendi, Everything.
3: plenty What I have is good What I have is beautiful Thank you for it all Teach my heart contentment Teach me to be still Teach me how
0: Welcome back to Real Faith. You're listening to Faith FM. Uh, We just, I I don't know if I said that before, but I wanted to just say thank you, Aaron, for your question. We look forward to having a look at it with you next week. Um, We have come towards the end of our show, so we want to just draw out some applications. Now, we didn't get into, like, you know, it's funny. Bible study is often like this. Sometimes you have great amounts of things to read, and there's not enough time to get through. And then you're, you know, it's really concise points you might be able to draw. But here we've had five passages. We've only read three, and we still didn't even exhaust the one verse that we were basically trying to take care of, or two verses from from Genesis five. Um, that's a really valid thing. So hopefully, for you who are listening, hopefully you've been able to learn a little bit from this about, you know, what do we do when we? when we're trying to understand a text that's pretty minimal. Yeah. And one of those things that we can do is we can look for other places in Scripture where that wording is used, other places that mention that person or that idea or that word so that we can gather a more well-rounded picture of what's going on so that we can draw our applications from it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Speaking of that, what are some applications we can draw in the next minute?
1: Yeah, I think some of it is... um Really, we talked about walking with God. And so just to touch on that again, thinking, man, walking with God, these men of God that we can see, they spent time with God. They dwelt with him. Um, either they physically walked with him like Adam, um, or Enoch spent time with him, must have been in prayer and study of scriptures, and with other people like Adam who were with God. And so it really encourages you to try and get to know the and one that you want to be like. do it diligently. Yeah.
0: Really seek. Yeah. Really pursue. Because God will reward that uh, reward that behavior. You know, He's Absolutely. pleased with that. He wants yeah. you to know him. Awesome. Hey, one thing. We didn't really touch on this, but I think this is worth mentioning. For those of you out there who are parents, notice that there's a real blessing in being a parent. Enoch, it says, walked with God for 300 years. When? After his son was born. Yeah. It deepened his walk with God. Now, sometimes, you know, as a parent, you get exhausted. You get tired. There's so much to do. But don't be discouraged and don't miss the point that through that relationship you have a living parable of God's love for you and your love for your child and your child's love for you. It's a beautiful picture. And this, raising a child, was one of the key things that drew him closer into his walk. And we could explore that more if we had more time. But I wanna really encourage you, if you're a parent, That's a blessing. Take take advantage of that and really don't be discouraged that that that's not robbing you of spiritual opportunity. It's actually giving you new spiritual opportunity. And for those of you who are listening who don't have kids like me, Remember, diligently seek God, whatever your circumstance. Diligently be looking for God. Read scripture. Look for opportunities to serve. Spend time in prayer. Draw close to him. Walk with him in a real relationship. And we pray that that is your decision today. May God bless you. And remember that real faith is lived faith.
2: faith.